at a time when investors are confronted with market volatility and a variety of challenges fueled by the uncertainty of inflation, unsettled geopolitical tensions, and economic pressures, Justin Klein and Steve Peasley stand ready to take your finance and investment questions and share their unbiased answers. This is Invest Talk, independent thinking, shared success. Invest Talk is made possible by KPP Financial, a registered investment advisor firm serving clients throughout the United States. The clarity for your path forward starts now. Here is KPP Chief Executive Officer, Financial Advisor, Justin Klein. Good afternoon, fellow investors, and welcome back to Invest Talk. This is our Friday, January 19th, 2024 edition, and welcome to the weekend. It is here. Now, before we head out into the weekend and have a little fun, hopefully all of you have some fun things planned, before we head out for the weekend, we need to help you take that next step. Just because the weekend's in front of us doesn't mean we have to ignore everything that's beyond that. We can still take some lessons from today's market moves, economic data, and I can still give you my perspective. Developed over 20 plus years of investment experience. Now I'm Justin Klein, and our goal each and every weekday is to answer your finance investment questions and bring you relevant data and perspective that can help you make good investment decisions, good money decisions in general. So that's the goal for this hour. And we're going to talk about the market performance as well as run down some show topics. But right after we answer our first caller question now. I was calling about Unum Group, ticker symbol UNM. I own a small amount. Wanted to know if it's worth buying more or just selling. Just seeing what you guys think. Thanks. All right, looking at Unum Group, about a $9 billion market cap. And what they do is they provide group and individual income protection insurance, basically disability insurance here in the US, the UK, Poland, and many other countries as well. It is the largest domestic disability insurer. Okay. And with people having jobs, that helps because that means they have money to pay premiums and they have incomes to protect. So the current jobs market being relatively tight, that's a good thing. And their business has continued to grow. They made $3.88 in 2016. 2022, $6.33. And last year, once they report fourth quarter earnings, should make about $7.72. And 781 is expected to be earned this year. So I like that consistent growth. And if you go based on this year's expected earnings, you're talking about a six multiple. It's pretty cheap. It's pretty cheap. Now, there are some caveats here. The cash flow is not nearly as strong as those that earnings would lead, lead on. But it is good. It is solid. And the dividend at 3% is solid. I see no issues with it. It's been buying back shares, so I like that. So part of that EPS growth is shrinking of the share, the, the amount of shares outstanding. So that's where a lot of that EPS growth is coming from. But overall, I like it. I like the insurance industry. 
Uh, it has had a pullback recently. I see no reason to sell it. In fact, uh, I wouldn't be against buying more at this time. That was Unim Group. U-N-M is the symbol. Now, we have a lot of ground to cover over the next 40 minutes. And my main focus point concerns this question. What are wide moat stocks? Well, wide moat stocks typically carry sound balance sheets, have high profitability, but there are other attributes as well. What determine? <clears throat> Excuse me, what determines a wide moat stock? So we'll take a look at the economic moat methodology, stock sector analysis, and more. We also have other topics. One is in regards to consumer sentiment. It's bouncing back. We're going to talk about why that might be. Also, corporate credit markets. They're pricing in a pretty rosy future when it comes to defaults. And we're gonna talk about whether that is justified. And then lastly, geopolitics. We have Davos, the Davos meeting going on right now. And a lot of the discussion is around geopolitics and how that affects markets and economies. So how much should geopolitics play in the way you think about your portfolios? So that's what's on the docket for me. And for you, we have your voicemail questions. One is on where to invest and the other is BSTZ, which is the BlackRock Science and Technology Fund or Trust, excuse me. And since it's Friday, I'll share a brief highlight of the newest KPP Premium Newsletter. Now let's take a look at the market performance for today. It was OPEX week and I said, likely means positive markets, at least until option X, and that is today. And that typically drives positive flows in markets, especially in the names that have the most action in the in the options market. And that are those are the big cap names. And that's what you saw large cap growth up 1.52%. The broad market was up about one and a quarter percent, small caps up about a little less than 1%. So traded at all time highs and not a shock to see. Uh, We'll see if we can hold these. I think that's the big question. Can we hold the gains through the end of the month? And remember, we have the Fed meeting at the end of the month as well. Will this market strength give them continued pause? And get the market to push back the expectations for Fed rate cuts till later in the year. Because right now, there's about a priced in a 97% chance of a pause on the 31st. Then the next Fed meeting is mid to late March. And that is now down to about a 50% chance of a cut by then. A week ago, it was 77%. So this market strength is certainly... And the economic data, which remains fine, that is already pushing off a a little bit the expectations of a rate cut. And I said this going into the year that I think that was the biggest risk to the bond market, at least, was that, yeah, the Fed promised three cuts and the market priced in six. And already the market's starting to price out a couple of those cuts. Because if you go to December, the median expectation is now about five rate cuts, whereas going into the year, we were about six. 
So they've priced out about one. And we'll get more news on that to close the month. But yeah, I kind of, I don't want to say I write off option next week. There's a lot of market positioning kind of behind the scenes that doesn't really give you a good sense of the true trends in the market. So uh, I'll be watching to see what kind of trends emerge next week. And that's what I'll be watching. Now, as we go into a break, let me remind you to check out our new Investop Classroom series, our latest episode. So 16 is titled The Residential Housing Market in 2024. Luke and I talk about the market dynamics in housing, as well as I offer my perspective on lifestyle goals when you select a home. For example, should you always be worried about turning a profit on your home? Simple answer is no. It's not the main priority. Valuations are high within the market and supply is low. So those are some also some additional current market dynamics that we discuss in our latest episode of the Invest Talk Classroom series. So just head over to YouTube and search Invest Talk Classroom. Now the phone lines are open, waiting for your questions at eight 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 nine nine chart. Every investor is working to build a secure financial future. Would this be an opportune time to get into annuities? Everyone's situation is different. Get your thoughts on CRM, Salesforce. And so are their questions. And I was just calling for your assessment of Blackstone Incorporated. You get your take on Chewy. Ticker symbol L-E-C-O. Just wanted to get your opinion on JP Morgan. Invest Talk hosts Justin Klein. You know, I'm okay paying fair price for a very good business. Steve Peasley. It's a very well-run company. And now Luke Guerrero. EBITDA growth is significantly higher than its competitors. Are ready to provide their unbiased answers. Each podcast is unique and you set the agenda. I will. Hey, hi Steve. 24-7, rain or shine, Invest Talk is made better by the power of you. Call 888-99-CHART. Your objective is to work hard, plan well, and achieve financial freedom, right? You're in luck because Justin Klein is here now, ready to take your finance and investment questions. Call 888-99-CHART. Let's go talk to Don. He is in Orinda, California, and he wants to talk about McDonald's. Yes, um, I own 75 shares of McDonald's. Mm-hmm. Um, I received an email from them saying, hey, we want, we, we, we're trying to get everyone to uh, come up to, to even lots, uh, 100 shares. So we're giving you two options. One, either buy more shares or two, sell your shares. And it, it's not a requirement. It's just one of those things they're asking people to do. Hmm. It, I've never seen this before. I've never seen that either. Are you sure that's coming from McDonald's or is this coming from your broker? Yes. No. Well, okay. I, I take it back. It could be coming from the broker. Um, E-Trade's the broker, so the mm-hmm. whoever purchased them is making some changes. Um, I just assumed that I'd never seen that before, though. So that was, that was very strange to me. So, okay, um, I see E-Trade wanting to clean it up, so... Yeah, it could be. I I, I see no reason why 
McDonald's would do that. In fact, uh, McDonald's, I don't think, has shareholder emails. So it would probably be coming from your broker. And there's okay. probably some reason for it behind the scenes. I don't know what that would be. Uh, but One more thing on this. Yeah. One, one, one more thing is, is, is that they, if I saw it correctly, I should, I should have had it open. Uh, but it was for this, um, they could, they'll, they'll charge you $5 a share. Mm-hmm. And it's, it goes into this certain group and the people buying will pull from this group. The people selling will pull from this group. I, I, I it's really bizarre. Uh, yeah, so I'm looking this up here. This looks like, because Morgan Stanley bought E-Trade, this has something to do with the transition to Morgan Stanley. And do you have, do you have uh, fractional shares of this? No, no, I do no. not. I, did, I have <laughs> 75. And they want me up to 100 or gone. <laughs> That's so Dude. weird. I don't know. I mean, I... Yeah. I mean, McDonald's, obviously a large blue chip name. Uh, right now, I see it as about fairly valued. It's, you know, it's, it's ran up pretty nicely from, you know, 250 or so all the way to 300 in a rather short period of time. So it's a bit overbought near term. Do you have a date that you're supposed to be do, do this by? I'm going to say it's, it was February 1st. Okay. And are you married to E-Trade or now Morgan Stanley? I, are you okay moving? Uh, Another option. Actually, no, I'm not. I have a lot of stuff in there. Okay. But, but um, what would you suggest? Well, I, I think any of the large brokers is good. We use Schwab. Fidelity is great too. Um, you know, those are kind of the two other large ones that probably make the most sense if you were to move it. And you know, they don't require you to buy hundred shares or sell it all. So. I, I, you know, if, if, if this is something they're going to continue to demand from you, which seems odd to me, I'd have to do some research on why they would even it do this. Re- it would say it is a request. It is not a demand. It is a request. It is a request. Uh, maybe they're just yeah. trying to get you to put more money on the platform. I'm not sure. Um, yeah. yeah. So if it's a request, then I would just ignore it because right now it wouldn't be, a, a, I think, a, a, a great time uh, to be buying McDonald's shares. It's not a bad time, but it probably not is a great time. It's not a great time either. Okay. Then I'll hold them and see what happens. Thank you very much. Yeah, no problem. Yeah, it would be neutral on McDonald's. Now we're going to a quick break. Please remember that you can call anytime and leave your questions on the Invest Talk Voice Bank and if you're listening via our live stream or on AM 1220 radio in the Silicon Valley area, you can call right now at 888-99-CHART. Each day, InvestTalk listeners submit their finance and investment questions via phone or email. Would you like your question to be put near the top of the list? Just take a minute or two to leave a review and rating for Invest Talk at iTunes. And be sure to include a brief question with your iTunes review comments. Now, my main focus concerns this question. What are wide moat stocks? What are wide moat stocks? And put simply, wide moat stocks have good balance sheets, 
And most importantly, a strong competitive advantage. Now, there's different levels to this of competitive advantages. There's minor competitive advantages and major ones and medium ones. Right? It's all shades of gray here. Okay. So understand that first is that not all companies can be treated exactly the same and all have varying risks to their competitive advantages as well. Depending on the source of that competitive advantage. Now, over the long term, companies that do have wide economic moats and think of a moat like a castle, that's why they call it a moat saying, here's our business. We have this moat that's protecting us from competitors coming in and stealing our high economic profit, our high profitability. And that's a, the first indicator that a company has a good economic moat or high competitive advantage is that they have strong and consistent profitability. It allows them to charge above average prices for their products and services. And this allows them to successfully fend off competitors for decades. Now, they can be things that create high switching costs. Others have strong brand identities. Or they might possess economic scale. Now, what's a high switching cost? Apple has a wide economic moat due to high switching costs. And that is, if you've been using an iPhone for a long period of time, you have a lot of pictures and data, and that ecosystem kind of keeps you from switching. And the switching cost doesn't always have to be money. It's not, oh, I have to pay money to get it. A lot of it is what people are used to. And their unwillingness to you know, learn a new system. So that's one type of switching cost. Another are strong brands. Think of Coke or McDonald's. Then there's also intangible assets. So think of IP, but a technology that this happens in pharma, for example, they have Patents on certain drugs. Now those patents come off and there are definitely a lot of pharma companies dealing with that right now, patent cliffs. And so those intangible assets have a certain life to them. And that prevents co other companies from coming in and duplicating their products. Then there's network effects. You see this a lot in social media. You could build the coolest, most amazing platform, but if your friends and other people aren't on it that you want it to be, then they're not, you're not seeing enough being shared and it doesn't create that ecosystem that keeps you there. And that's one of the hardest things to create is that, that size advantage. So network effects are, are a big part of that. And then there's cost advantage. This happens in... 
commodity companies, for example, they might have low, they might be the lowest cost producer because the mine they own is just abundant and easy to get out of the, get the product out of the ground compared to others in the world. That's one example, but there are many. So just cost advantage in general, and that can be due to scale. And, and that that's another one, efficiencies of scale. Think of a Walmart or a Costco. They have bargaining power with the companies that produce the products that sell into their stores because they have such heft. They have such large revenue and they can promise that they are bringing in X number of consumers and driving X number of sales. And they're therefore they're able to negotiate a much lower price and pass that on to consumers and thus keep those consumers going there because they can't get those lower prices elsewhere. So this is the concept of what an economic mode is. And so when you're investing in companies, you should ask yourself, what advantage do they have? Are they a price taker? Or can they impose their price on the market because of these competitive advantages? And long-term, long-term, not six months, a year, long-term, companies with a competitive advantage with an economic mode tend to outperform. And when you combine that with trying to find the ones that have that are trading at fair or cheap prices, you can have a very strong strategy that can outperform over the long term. Now we're heading into a break. I'm Justin Klein, I'm ready to take your calls now at 888 chart At this point, I think almost everyone has heard how generative AI promises to bring us to the next industrial revolution. AI is already shaping society with an impact on daily life that echoes the transformative significance of electricity or the internet. As we take steps to embrace the potential of generative AI, we need to remain vigilant with regard to its exploitability. This is where HackerOne comes in. HackerOne's AI Red Team addresses the novel challenges of AI safety and security for businesses that are launching new AI deployments. The HackerOne approach involves targeted offensive testing by harnessing the collective skills of ethical hackers who are proficient in AI and prompt hacking. In short, AI red teaming is the practice of stress testing AI models and deployments to make sure they can't be tricked into providing information beyond their intended use and that security flaws can't be exploited to access confidential data or systems. HackerOne seamlessly integrates with your existing tools to enhance communication and collaboration across development, security, and IT teams. So, stay ahead of the game in the battle against cyber threats with HackerOne's attack resistance platform. Learn more at HackerOne.com. That's H-A-C-K-E-R-O-N-E dot com hacker dot com every investor is working to build a secure financial future 
How they get there and when they get there, that depends on many variables. The more you learn about how the market works, the better your chances. So don't forget to call InvestTalk, 888-99-CHART. For my focus point, I will discuss this topic, mean reversion and a historical analysis of asset class performance. Investing is a dance of numbers, trends, and predictions, and it's important to understand the concept of mean reversion when it comes to certain asset class performance. That story is for Monday, but now let's play another listener question from 888-99-CHART. Hi, Steve, Luke, and Justin. I'm a recent listener to the show, and I really like the show. I do appreciate your unbiased feedback on the show. I came to know about Steve from one of the announcements and my prayers for his speedy recovery, and he gets well soon. My question for the today, I'm looking at this BMEZ and BSTZ. Those are BlackRock uh, closed ended funds, and uh, I'm not sure whether those investments I would compare with respect to other firms and ETFs. Currently, they offer good yield on a monthly basis, and also they are at quite a discount. I'm looking at investing them into long-term retirement portfolio for five to 10 years. I don't know how does it compare with respect to its term-based closed-ended funds. So I really appreciate your thoughts on those kind of investment to add in your retirement account. Uh, thank you, and I'll be listening to your show. All right, looking at BSTZ and BMEZ. This is the BlackRock Science and Technology Closed-End Fund, trading at a discount. Let me look at the portfolio here. I don't like to just look at the title because the title, especially here, doesn't tell you a whole lot. Let's see, 68% equity, 33% other. Okay, owns NVIDIA as its top holding, Synopsis, Tesla, Palo Alto Next Networks and Javel Circuit, top five holdings. So this is a tech-focused fund. 78% is in technology. I'm not getting a whole lot when it comes to the chart. It doesn't look like its performance has been very good. It looks like it was flat for most of last year. I know it's trading at a discount to NAV, but especially right now, I don't see any reason to get into uh, this name. Now, BMEZ is the health sciences, more biotech, and this is kind of the same thing. You know, I, I don't see closed-end funds as a bad thing overall. I mean, these are not bad investment vehicles in general, just like... ETFs aren't bad investment vehicles in general. Some are good, and some are not good. These ones don't seem to be very good. And the expense ratios are high. BMEZ is a 1.32% expense ratio. BSTZ is a 1.33. That's just way too high for what you're getting here. So I'm passing on both of these. But don't think that I hate all closed-end funds. Now it's Friday, and I generally make time to fit in a quick rundown of some key benchmark numbers. The two-year Treasury yield up to 4.41%. It's up from 4.16 last week. So it shows you 
as I said at the top of the show, market pricing out a full rate cut pretty much this entire week due to strong economic numbers, strong equity markets, et cetera. And that's reflected in the, in the, in the two-year. The 10-year did move up, but not quite as much, from 3.96 to 4.16. So about a 20 basis point move there versus 25 basis points on the two-year. Gold priced at 2026 per ounce, down a little bit from 2047 last week. That's typical when you see rates move up in any given week. Silver was down as well, 22.60 ounce from $23.18. Oil, that also moved down a bit, $73.58 a barrel from nearly $76 last week. Gasoline prices, they ticked up for the first time in a while by a penny. National average went from 307 to 308. Here in California, we saw actually improvement. $4.51 from 4.59 last week. Illinois average was $3.24 per gallon. Now the KAPP premium newsletter was finished today and it will distribute will be distributed to subscribers tomorrow and I have a preview. In the market conditions section, we explained that stocks, re stocks rallied early today with the S&P 500 up 0.3%, inching closer to all-time closing high set in January of 2022, largely driven by significant gains in the technology sector as the S&P 500 and NASDAQ erased their 2024 losses. In contrast to the buoyant stock market, the housing sector saw a downturn in 2023. Sales of previously owned homes in 2023 plummeted to their lowest level since 1995, a 19% decline year over year. So those numbers were released. High mortgage rates ranging from 68% coupled with the elevated home prices have rendered home buyer buying unaffordable for many. On a broader note, Americans are showing increased optimism about the economy. There's a lot more commentary details in the newsletter. We also touch on some stock ideas, stock ideas, things to keep on your watch list. The company that produces semiconductors for wireless handsets and other de devices that are used to enable wireless connectivity with the P at 12 it is attractively priced and earnings growth should start to rebound in the second half of the year. We also look at a company that sells automotive parts and industrial components. Sells car and truck parts to commercial and retail customers through roughly 9,800 stores worldwide. Has a 2.7% dividend rate and trading at about a 15 times P multiple. We name names in the newsletter. Subscribers receive the full edition every Saturday to their email box. We also have a portfolio management section as well as consumer watch. To learn more, just head over to investtalk.com to subscribe. Now let's touch a bit on that consumer sentiment, because that was really the interesting news of the week. That consumer sentiment has surged 29% since November, the biggest two-month gain since 1991. And this is mainly driven by cooling inflation and signals by the Fed that rate increases are behind us. And you combine that with labor market that remains not amazing, but solid. And the fact that people still have money in the bank means consumers feel a little more confident to spend. Consumer sentiment leapt 13% in the first half of January from December as well. And it was broad-based. Across different ages, incomes, education, and geography. 
Now, despite the recent gains, the measure is still about 20% lower than where we were pre-pandemic. And more consistent with an economy that's coming out of a recession, as opposed to one that still may be headed into one. Now, one of the big reasons for the rebound and the change in inflation expectations is a drop in gasoline prices. And that helps at the margins. And the margins are typically where most consumers spend, which drives two-thirds of the U.S. economy. The share of consumers in December who expected their f- to be financially better off one year from now hit its highest levels since June of 2021. Now, we're also in an election year, so that's going to pl- play a big factor in probably how the election plays out. The old saying, it's the economy stupid. And obviously, those that are on the right, hammering President Biden on the economy. But those that make $100,000 or more, this is where the big sentiment shift is starting to, to happen. And those tend to be people more on the left. But right now, the president is losing the argument, despite steady improvements uh, in the job market and on inflation. And that's what will be, I think, the big factor going into the election is will inflation continue to ebb or will we get a resurgence? Will mortgage rates continue to head lower or will we head back to 7 8%? Will the S&P continue to march higher or will we get a major setback? Consumer expectations for inflation a year from now dropped to 2.9%, the lowest level since December of 2020. That's down from 4.5% in November. So that's a big change in sentiment from in just a couple months on inflation. The Fannie Mae index of home buying sentiment also jumped 10% in December. So that is getting people a little more optimistic. And then the media. Media coverage of the economy is also getting more upbeat. And that's according to the Brookings Institute. So it's going to be very interesting to see what risks evolve or how the risks evolve. We know there are risks. Some will be ones that we know are out there that continue to intensify, maybe geopolitical risks, for example. And others probably are not on the top of mind for many and will suddenly come out of nowhere. So nine, 10 months, that's a lot of time, but we'll, it'll be interesting to see how the, the sentiment around the economy evolves as we go into the fall. Now it's Friday, the weekend is almost here, but for now let's play another caller question from 888-99-CHART. Hi, Justin. I know you and Steve are not too fond of cyclical stocks, specifically the auto industry, but I wanted to ask your thoughts on Honda, ticker symbol HMC, it is now looking like it's trying to expand into the EV market. And from what I see on uh, Fidelity's uh, info, it looks like it's a good business. I don't own it. Looking into uh, 
perhaps expanding into it while I cut down on some of my other holdings. So uh, just wanted your thoughts. Thank you. Well, let me start by saying I'm not necess- I'm not not a fan of cyclical stocks. I think cyclical stocks are, are usually fine because the economy does tend to grow over the long term. Now, their business, uh, the business of cyclical stocks, does tend to ebb and flow. Uh, but I'm more worried about, as I as our main focus point touched on, was is their economic moat, their competitive advantages, and you can still have a great business that is cyclical. That would love to own long term. Yeah, you'll get some gyrations in the short term due to economic changes, but over the long term, and that economic moat will endure and create positive economic profit for shareholders. So don't think that we don't like cyclical stocks. We like good companies. Some are cyclical, some are not. In fact, most companies are cyclical. So if you weeded out all of them, you'd be hard-pressed to create a solid portfolio. Now, Honda Motors is a very good car manufacturer when it comes to profitability, cash flow. Now, I typically, I don't love the car industry. It's just a very competitive market, high cost of capital, and high fixed costs. You have these huge manufacturing facilities all over the world, and margins tend to be very slim. And if you look at Honda Motors, look at the stock chart. It's pretty much gone nowhere in nearly 20 years. It hit the $30 level in 2006, and it's basically been trading in a range between 22 and 36 since then. Now it's at 32. And I think that's all you really need to, to know. Return equity is 7.5%. Its five-year average is... Six and a half percent. That's not very high. Its operating margin is 5.3%. Its long-term average is right around five. So that's my issue here is that, is it one of the better car manufacturers? Sure, it is. But it's been stuck in neutral, pun intended, for nearly 20 years. Yeah, you're getting the dividend, which is 3%, but I mean, that's almost the return of cash over the last 20 years. And you have volatility and risk. So I just don't see an exciting name here. I just, just look at car companies in general. I could bring up almost any of them. GM, Ford, and it's just a very difficult business to operate. The only ones that you made money on are the EV companies, and basically that's mainly that's on hype. Look at Lucid. You know, that continues to plumb to new lows. And Tesla's starting to roll over as well. So yeah, I I don't mind cyclical names. I just don't like the car business. It's a very difficult business. Now, let me remind you that here on Talk, we operate with the same philosophy 
as we do at our company, KPP Financial, which is independent thinking and shared success. We offer unbiased guidance both on and off air, and we practice parallel investing, which means we invest right alongside our clients. So if you need help with your portfolio, don't hesitate to reach out to us via our website and set up a free portfolio review assessment. Now we're moving into a break. Phone lines are open at 888-99-CHART. This is Invest Talk. For serious investors, it's all about achieving financial freedom. That's why the unbiased guidance offered by Steve and Justin is so valuable. The Invest Talk Anytime listener lines are open now, and Steve and Justin welcome your questions. Call 888 99 Chart. Let's go talk to Sammy in San Francisco. He wants to talk about Netflix. Uh, hey, Justin. Thanks for taking my call. Um, of I wanted to get your views on Netflix. Uh, what would be a good entry point? Um, Ooh, you know, uh, Netflix is at a big run from its lows in early 2023. Actually, no, the lows would be actually late summer 2022, right around $175 per share. Now it's at 482 And frankly, it's into major, major resistance right around the 500 level. Our value, you want to know our value? $250. So it's about twice as expensive as it should be. So... You know, it's trading at six times sales. Enterprise value to EBITDA is about 23 times going forward, looking forward. I just don't see any reason to get in at these prices. It's just way, way, way too expensive. It needs to be, like I said, cut in half, half this price, I'd pick it up. Thanks for the call. Let's talk about the corporate bond markets and... You know, the collective expectations in that market are always interesting. And they ebb and they flow. You get banking crises like you saw in the spring. And that can that can certainly uh, spook markets. And credit spreads widened out at the fear. And this typically happens when there is fear of a default cycle. But one one reason that we were not that worried about that little scare was because credit spreads barely widened out. And that is typically a good indicator of you know how serious the problems in the economy really are. Because remember, the corporate bond market, they tend to be pretty skeptical. Why? Because they're worried about downside risk. When you're owning corporate bonds, your biggest fear is a credit crisis of some type. Where the companies enter an economic environment where they have down earnings, down cash flows, and suddenly can't pay back their loans. So corporate bond 
holders are more cautious. They tend to quickly price in a default cycle. So they're very on when it comes to trying to prognosticate a recession or an economic downturn. But today, corporate credit pricing is not saying there's any problems on the horizon. Today's spreads are nearing their smallest levels or lowest levels in 20 years. Now, does that mean there aren't opportunities in the corporate credit market? No, there are. But they're a lot less than they were a few months ago or during the banking crisis. In fact, the best thing you could say is that yields are much higher than they have been over the past 30 years. They're substantially higher, mainly because government bond yields are higher. So there's always that spread above government bond yields. So you'll be able to lock in pretty good rates. Right now we're getting six and a half, seven percent, which is not amazing, but it's solid. Especially if inflation does even out around the three or four percent level, which is probably where we end up. Not one or two like we're used to on inflation, but three or four is probably the base case over the next decade or so. So there's still positive real returns there. And that's ultimately what most credit market or uh, bond investors are looking for. But it's always interesting to watch how that is how, how that market is pricing in econ- an economic shift and so far they're not pricing in much of any. I'm Justin Klein. This completes another Invest Talk program. We thank you for listening, and we encourage you to tell your friends and family about our free podcast downloads, which you can find anytime at iTunes, Spotify, or Google Play. And be sure to rate and review on iTunes as well. Independent thinking, shared success. This is Invest Talk. Enjoy your weekend. Invest Talk is a trademark of KPP Financial. Because of the nature of the interactive dialogue inherent in the format of this program, It's important for the listener to understand that not all comments made will apply to them. Specifically, nothing said shall be taken to be investment advice, or shall statements on this program be considered an offer to buy or sell security. Because such advice is rendered solely on an individual basis, and at times will require that the investor review a prospectus before investing. InvestTalk is a copyrighted program of Klein, Pavlis, and Peasley Financial, a registered investment advisor firm which retains all rights For more information regarding KPP's investment advisors, call 1-800-557-5461. Steve Peasley is president and Justin Klein is chief executive officer of Klein, Pavlis, and Peasley Financial. Thank you for listening and your comments and questions are welcome on our 24-hour listener line at 888-99-CHART.